Why are boundaries important to me right now? How am I setting and keeping healthy boundaries today? Welcome to episode 330 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Nicole, Kathy, Frida, and Jeff. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Kathy, Nicole, Frida, and Jeff for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I will be your host today. Our opening reading is from the book Courage to Change, November 6th. When I first heard of not accepting unacceptable behavior, I felt confused. The Al-Anon program forthrightly states I'm powerless over others, so how can I regulate them? Some members refer to limiting unacceptable behavior as setting boundaries. Boundaries, however, aren't rules I can enforce on others. They are standards of conduct I set for my own benefit. In my program, boundaries are a civilizing ingredient in social interaction, a matter of self-respect and respect for others. Setting limits requires some degree of communication skills because others cannot read my mind nor I theirs. Others need to know how I feel and I need to lovingly communicate my feelings. Uh, Likewise, it is important that I listen to and respect their feelings. I can't expect others to share my values. Sometimes I make choices in my own best interest that others don't understand. If my boundary is not respected, I remember the serenity prayer, communicate my limit, and in quietness and serenity, do whatever is needed to take care of myself. I don't have to end the relationship. However, I do have to recognize my responsibility to honor myself as a child of God who is worthy of respect. I am more mindful of my boundaries when I'm around those I do not trust. With those I do trust, I can be more flexible. If I allow my boundaries to be violated repeatedly, I am a volunteer rather than a victim. It's my responsibility to stick with people who are affirming and trustworthy and to limit my exposure to those who are not. I thought I'd talk a little bit at first about what I learned about boundaries early in the program, what are boundaries, etc., and I started by looking in our basic text how Al-Anon works. And I found a section titled Personal Boundaries. And when I looked, it's in chapter 11, which is titled Detachment, Love, and Forgiveness. In fact, it's the first section in chapter 11. I'm going to come back to that connection in a minute. The piece of a sentence in here really spoke to me. It says, many of us find it difficult even to begin to focus on ourselves because we have lost track of the separation between ourselves and others. And somewhere in there it uses the word enmeshed. And enmeshed really describes my relationship with my alcoholic loved one before I came to Al-Anon. When I think about enmeshed, I think about a visual that a friend in the program gave to me years ago. Take your hands in front of you and interlace the fingers so your hands are tightly connected. Your fingers are enmeshed. They're meshed with each other. If you want to move one hand, the other one has to come with it. It has no choice. Even if you want to keep one hand where it is and move the other one, with your fingers enmeshed, interlaced, there's no way. Either the one that wants to move can't move, or the one that wants to stay still can't stay still, or both. Maybe you don't end up in a place where you want either of those hands. You end up in some place in between. That's enmeshment. That is my relationship with the alcoholic, and indeed with many other people in my life before I learned about boundaries, before I learned how to apply boundaries in my life. You know, I really didn't understand where I stopped 
and someone else began, where my responsibilities stopped and someone else's responsibilities started, where my feelings stopped and someone else's feelings started. And of course, this was much stronger with the people I loved. So when my loved one was in pain, I felt her pain. When my loved one was angry, I felt her anger. When my loved one was trapped in an alcoholic addiction, I felt that I had to fix it because I didn't know what was mine to do and what was hers to do. I had no boundary. I had no boundary between me and her. I had no boundaries on what I would do and what I wouldn't do. Then I came to Al-Anon, and somewhere along in there, I started to hear about things like boundaries and detachment. I didn't really, at the beginning, didn't understand what that meant. But I started discovering this, this boundaries concept. The reading mentioned the serenity prayer, and the serenity prayer is a great descriptor, if you will, descriptor of a very simple boundary. What is mine to control and what is not? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And here we go with the boundary and the wisdom to know the difference. I've heard this expressed in a number of different ways. You probably have heard the term or the phrase in, in rooms, stay inside your hula hoop. So visualize a hula hoop around you. Everything inside that hula hoop is yours. Everything outside that hula hoop is not yours. Very simple wisdom. I heard another description of it. A speaker was talking about the serenity prayer and, and the wisdom to know the difference and was saying to his sponsor, I don't, I don't know how to know where the difference is. And the sponsor said, well, so touch your skin. He said, everything inside that is yours. That's where the difference is. Everything outside the skin is not yours. There's a boundary. The skin is a boundary in many ways. It keeps me inside me. It keeps the stuff that's not me outside me. And it helps to protect me from things in the environment that might hurt me. So do boundaries. Boundaries keep me inside me. They keep what's not me outside me. And they help to protect me from things around me that might hurt me. I came to understand, for me, two different aspects of boundaries. In my notes, I wrote internal and external. The internal boundary is this what's mine, what's not mine concept. Knowing where I stop, knowing what's inside me, what's outside me is not mine to control. That one was really critical in coming to an understanding and a, and a way to live this really important concept in the program of loving detachment. This, I believe, is why this, the section on personal boundaries is in the chapter titled Detachment. I read that on Saturday, and then at the Sunday meeting, the reading for May 3rd from Courage to Change is about detachment. We were sharing on detachment, and I made this connection that without boundaries, I had no hope of being able to detach lovingly. I might have been able to detach with anger, sort of ripping the person off of me, you know, with anger and pain, but being able to lovingly separate my needs from their needs, my concerns from their concerns. That required me to have a personal boundary, as I said earlier, an internal boundary. Then there's the other set of boundaries that I need to keep for my own mental health, for my own serenity, and those I've labeled external. As the reading said, boundaries are not about limiting unacceptable behavior in other people. They are not rules I can enforce on others. But they can be, and they are for me, limits that I set on 
my behavior and on what I will accept or tolerate. For example, I will make sure that I get enough rest, despite how late somebody else might want to stay up. I don't always keep this boundary 100%. I'm not perfect. But when I know it's time for me to go to bed so that I can get enough sleep, so I can get up in the morning and record the recovery show, for example, I go to bed, despite the fact that my wife might be still up reading, watching a TV show, whatever she's doing. I don't have to be there with her. You know, it also comes back to that internal boundary, that separation between me and her. She's not me. I'm not her. If she wants to do something, I don't have to do it with her. Okay. So that takes the internal boundary. I'm me. She's her. Turns it into an external boundary. Turns it into a limit that I will set on my own behavior, which is I don't have to do everything she does. I don't have to do everything she wants to do. Again, as the reading says, I have to be clear and open about that, but I don't have to do everything somebody else does, no matter how close I am to them, no matter how much I love them, no matter how big a part they are of my life. We are separate people. Another example of a boundary that I keep is reserving the right to remove myself from situations in which I'm uncomfortable. I don't have to sit there and hear speech that upsets me. I don't have to submit to insulting behavior. I can remove myself. I can remove myself mentally or I can remove myself physically and it's okay. I am setting that boundary to protect my serenity. I'm not setting the boundary on what somebody else says. I can ask them, and I have done this, to say, you know, I'm not in a position right now to engage in this conversation. I would prefer not to. This happened the other night. We were on a Zoom conversation with relatives, and one of them started making inflammatory statements. And I said, you know, we're trying to have a pleasant evening together, a pleasant conversation, and you're not contributing. And that person stopped. I didn't have to get angry. I didn't have to yell. I didn't have to be impolite. I was able to enforce my boundary to keep my serenity without being mean in return, without being nasty in return. Another boundary that I can set and have set, I think is captured very well in this saying that I heard from Eric, who's a sometime guest on the podcast, who heard it from somebody else at a meeting, I think, says, givers need to set boundaries because takers have none. Now think about that for a minute. I need to set a boundary on how much I will give. No matter how uncomfortable it makes me to say no to somebody, if it's more than I can give, if it's more than I'm comfortable giving, I need to say no. Because otherwise, maybe I feel good in that moment, but afterwards I don't. Because I've stepped past what was comfortable for me. I've stepped past my boundary. There's another reading that Eric sent me. This one's from Courage to Change, July 19th. It starts out, Al-Anon taught me the difference between walls and boundaries. Walls are solid and rigid. They keep others out and they keep me trapped inside. Boundaries are flexible, changeable, removable, so it's up to me how open or closed I'll be at any time. They let me decide what behavior is acceptable not only from others but from myself. Today I can say no with love instead of hostility so it doesn't put an end to my relationships. And that to me is also something that's really important about boundaries. They can be flexible. They don't have to be rigid. They don't have to be walls. They don't have to be walls made of stone. They can be a fence with a gate or a fence that I can lean over. When my wife was still drinking, I had set a boundary of not buying alcohol for her. 
not enabling her drinking in that way. Through a very uncomfortable circumstance, I learned that there are times when I needed to relax that boundary. Sometimes we would be in a situation where for the health of our relationship and for her physical health, I needed to help her get something to drink. It wasn't something that I wanted to do, but I had to weigh the immediate consequence against my boundary and make a decision that right now this boundary needs to flex. So that's boundaries in general, particularly boundaries earlier in the program, also some boundaries right now. The reason that I was inspired to this topic right now is because of the sheltering at home, quarantine, whatever you want to call it, from the coronavirus situation we're in right now, has really reinforced for me the need to set boundaries, to keep boundaries, and to observe boundaries, both mine and others. So right now, I'm working from home, I'm living at home, I'm home 24-7 with my wife and my dog. I need for my peace of mind, for my serenity, for my ability to, to get stuff done, I need to set boundaries on both of them. And when I say set boundaries on both of them, I need to make it clear, here are some boundaries that I would like you to respect. It's a lot harder to express that to the dog, just saying. Those are more boundaries on my behavior, on what what I will and won't do. And as with all boundaries, sometimes they flex. I'm working. I'm interacting with people by video at my job, eight hours a day or so, sometimes more, sometimes less. And, and right there, there's a boundary. That's a personal boundary I set on myself, which is it would be so easy to just keep working, to just keep going into the evening to get up early and start, you know, if I get up at six o'clock, I take my shower, I grab a bite to eat. I could be working by seven. I could keep going till six or seven in the evening. Nothing's stopping me, except I know that I need to have a balance between work and life. I need to not let work take over my life. So I do personal stuff in the morning before I head upstairs into, well, actually this same room for work. When the end of the workday comes around, I stop. I shut down my computer. I close the door to the office and I go do personal stuff like make dinner, like go outside when it's nice, take the dog for a stroll around the block. You know, I have to have that balance. And those are boundaries. Those are boundaries that I set on myself. I also need to clearly express, and I think the reading talks about this. It says, if my boundary is not respected, I need to communicate my limit. Others need to know how I feel, and I need to lovingly communicate my feelings. So when I'm working, it's often not obvious whether I'm currently engaging with somebody else. There might be faces on my screen. I'll have my earphones on. I'll have the microphone in front of me, but whether I'm listening with my microphone muted or whether I'm in the middle of engaging in a conversation is not obvious. I set a boundary with my wife. She can stick her head in the room and I will indicate to her whether I am available for conversation. I'm available to hear her or not. That helps both of us because she doesn't feel like she's being ignored and I don't have to interrupt something that I might be right in the middle of and needing to pay attention to just because she wants to talk to me. It's not perfect. It doesn't always work right. But it's a boundary that, that I had to set. It's, it's a boundary that I didn't have to have when I was working in my office. I mean, I sort of had it with other people at the office, but also much more of our communication there was face-to-face, -face, and so it was clearer when I was actually engaging with somebody else and when it was rude to interrupt. There were also times when I was engaging intensely with myself and needed to be able to say, just a moment, I see you, I acknowledge your presence, I need to stay in the focus that I'm in. And, and I can do that with my wife too while I'm here. Similarly, she works. She works in another room, 
but it's in her house, right? And sometimes it's not obvious to me whether she's working or whatever. She can set a boundary, whatever it is that she's doing, whether she's working or maybe she's on a Zoom meeting for her program. She can shut the door to that room. I can shut the door to this room. And that signals the boundary that we set that, hey, I'm working right now. Please don't interrupt me. So there's these boundaries inside the house that have become more important. I think the boundaries of time, this is work time. This is time that I need to take alone. Being clear about that. I need some just alone time. Those are very important and they're more important now because in the past, if I wanted alone time, I could get out of the house. I can't do that now. All of the time that I spend, all of my recreation, all of my quiet time, all of my music time, which I'm missing live music, like you wouldn't believe, has to happen in the house. And so the boundaries need to be more explicit. We had, I guess you call it a boundary, we had an agreement that Monday nights was were my music nights. They're not because I'm not going out. And I kind of let that one go. And, you know, I'm thinking it might be good to, to bring that back. But, you know, times change. We just with the time. The other place where boundaries really show up in my life right now is when I do go out, when I go to the grocery store, which is about the only place that I go out to, or when I go for a walk, there are some social expectations about boundaries right now, particularly in Michigan, where the COVID-19 disease has hit the state pretty hard about observing social distancing, about not getting too close to people that we don't already live in the same house with. So I have set that boundary on myself to not get too close to other people, to observe carefully and try not to move inside their comfort zone, into their discomfort zone, I guess you'd call it. Sometimes I can stop on the sidewalk and talk to a neighbor in their yard, and we're both comfortable with it. And other neighbors, they don't seem to be comfortable with it, and so I don't. I also recognize that there are people whose boundaries are not the same as mine in this respect. When it appears, before it becomes clear, because I don't really want them inside my great big hula hoop now, my six-foot radius hula hoop, whatever it is, When it appears that a person might move inside my boundary, I move away. I observe my boundary. I put a limit on my behavior. I'm not going to say, I'm staying on this sidewalk and you have to walk around me because I can't make somebody else do something. So if they're coming towards me on the sidewalk and they don't appear like they're going to move out of the way, I do. I move out of the way. I go out into the street, I cross the street, depending, and protect myself, protect at least my peace of mind. I don't know whether they've got the disease. They don't know whether I've got the disease. And even if I had it, I might not know because of the sneaky way it acts. This is even more difficult in places like the grocery store. I think I talked about this last week. One of the stores that I shop at infrequently these days has put arrows on the aisles, say, go this way down the aisle. Do not enter at that this end, enter at that end. And there are people who don't observe those arrows. And to be honest, there have been times when I forgot. So I give people the benefit of the doubt. But if somebody's coming at me in the aisle, I have to make a choice. Do I just scooch over to the side and let them go by? Do I turn around and Go the wrong way down the aisle myself? Do I just be mad at them? Do I glare at them? So that they'll know, oh boy, there's that old passive-aggressive behavior. Sometimes it's hard to keep my boundaries when I'm out in public right now. I'm going to get another chance at this. I'm heading to Costco after I record this. Got to pick up some stuff going in during the, as I call it, the old folks hour when it's less crowded. And those of us who are a little bit more at risk because of our age, can be a little further apart, which I appreciate. So that's what I got. A couple of you also wrote your thoughts on boundaries in this time. 
Heather writes, Spencer, I have a lot to say about boundaries right now. Here's a little bit of what is on my mind. Take what you like and leave the rest. Within the past month, I have started to establish my boundaries in a healthy way with my husband. I was looking for guidance on courage because I wanted to speak in a local meeting about the courage it takes to take care of myself by changing my own behaviors after many years of establishing unhealthy habits in my marriage, especially when my partner is only able to see my changes and new boundaries as going against him and hurting our marriage. When I said, I do, I vividly remember making choices that abandoned myself, my likes, and interests in order to support my husband's ideas about a wife and mother should look like. I had to rely on people-pleasing for so long because I didn't have a foundation of self-esteem. I grew up with a raging alcoholic mother and an untreated doormat father. My husband has, quote, spent quality time with me for years by watching TV in bed with me before I fall asleep. He is an insomniac, so he stays up all hours with the TV on. He typically selects shows which are filled with negativity and violence. He would never pick a show of my choosing. This has been harmful to me because I have a very active mind and so have spent many nights tossing and turning or dreaming about violent images. Within the past month, I have made a dedicated effort to meditate before bed almost every night, which sets me up for a great night of sleep. I work all day hard, especially now during the pandemic. My husband doesn't work like that. He sits sedentary in front of the TV most days. He doesn't take care of himself or honor himself by getting good sleep or exercise. He also has never cared to honor the sleep and environment that I need. I admit that is mostly because I have never established a solid boundary around that. Now I've told him that I no longer want to spend my pre-bedtime watching shows like that, so if he chooses to, then I have asked if he would be willing to wear headphones or I will sleep elsewhere. He, of course, doesn't want me to sleep in another room because that would be like one foot out the door in his eyes. Today, he begrudgingly accepts what I have asked for, and I have continued to enforce what I want for myself. Even when he chooses to disregard by creating an environment that I cannot go to sleep safely in, I have the choice to move to another room. It is so hard to get out of the bed and take care of myself, but every time I exercise the muscle, I get stronger. I've also started attending a 7 a.m. daily Zoom meeting that serves my soul. He constantly comes in and tries hard to get my attention. I've made it clear that it is my time, and without resorting to being mean and degrading or whining, I have the choice to both ignore him and get myself to a location that supports my meeting. I also have taken up exercise. This too is a hard one for my husband to support. He has accused me of going out and seeing people, if you know what I mean, when I go out walking, as well as other accusations. I've done amazingly well at not defending myself, not jumping in the ring with the 800-pound gorilla because I know that it is his sickness talking. I'm confident that my actions are esteemable and I don't have to be right by arguing with him and defending myself. He, of course, has no understanding of what I am doing or why. He only sees this as a departure from who I am as he knows me, and I must be about to leave him. Obviously, this is one of his triggers. Making these changes for myself and setting these simple boundaries has really helped my serenity. But one thing that has made a monumental change in my ability to set and honor my boundaries is that I have found a way to accept my spouse that I had never grasped until about two weeks ago. I have come to believe and understand that he is not capable of behaving any differently based on his own baggage and circumstances. Also, and most importantly, I have had only three and a half years in program, and I'm just barely scratching the surface in my recovery journey's progress. I have miles to go and a lifetime commitment. I work diligently every single day. How on earth could I possibly think the same outcome could come from him? He has no program, refuses to go to therapy or even talk with me about our problems. He cannot accept his own responsibility in our relationship. He cannot honor me, and he has no respect for himself. He lives in abject fear and utter denial. Even putting the onus of my well-being and happiness onto him is a drastic injustice I've done to him and to myself. These thoughts alone help me see that I cannot have expectations that he will be able to support me. My support has to come from inside me and from my loving higher power first, then from my sponsor who gives me honest and caring feedback, and finally from my program community who shares their experience, strength, and hope so that I can grow by their example and love. This, above all else, gives me the courage and strength to honor myself by setting boundaries when they are appropriate and consulting with those more wise than me when I am grappling with what might be unnecessary boundaries. But wow, how far I've come. Thanks so much for letting me share, and thanks for the podcast. I listen on my walks. I truly appreciate you. Heather C. Thank you for sharing that, Heather. Thank you for sharing your journey and 
and your understandings. Tanya wrote, Hi, Spencer. Thank you for your continued service. I live in New York City, the epicenter of the COVID-19 crisis. The first boundary I set was before the governor put New York on pause. I was able to stand up for myself and my team to get permission to work from home. This is a brand new role for me at work, my first time as a supervisor, and we had never worked remotely before. I would never have had the courage to honestly tell my boss about the fear I felt surrounding coming into the office without my program tools. I have had to continually set new boundaries about performance expectations with both myself and others as the situation unfolds. Knowing what I am and am not responsible for is a daily exercise. Thank you, Tanya, for that brief but insightful share. Eric sent me something that he had written about seven years ago to share in a meeting about boundaries. This is where the the reading from Courage to Change about walls versus boundaries came from. That reading ends with a reminder, do my defenses keep me safe or do they isolate me? Today, I can love myself enough to look for healthier ways to protect myself, ways that don't close everyone out. He continues, I love my daughters dearly and my wife and certainly never want to erect walls between us. It is hard as it is to say no to seemingly benign requests for things, and I can fall victim to the giving of things rather than the harder giving of self. But I know that this boundary is born out of love. I have learned that saying no is, for the time being, the best way to end the pattern of enabling which has not worked in the past and only prolonged painful and dysfunctional relationships and behaviors. These boundaries may be temporary, but are necessary. He also included a passage from the book How I All Now Works on page 267. The hardest part of setting and sticking to my boundaries has been to do it with love. It is so easy for me to justify my decisions by blaming him and making him the villain so that I won't feel so guilty. But there is no villain. Alcoholism is disease. Nobody wants to be afflicted by it. Not the alcoholic, not the family, not anybody. I am acting out of love as much today as I did when I was helping him avoid the consequences of his actions. I have learned that that kind of help doesn't help at all. It only allows the alcoholic to avoid the painful consequences of his actions. In Al-Anon, we sometimes call this enabling because we enable the progression of alcoholism by protecting the alcoholic from the difficulties he has created for himself. Today, I believe that it is far more loving to allow my son the dignity of facing the consequences of his actions without interference from me. Eric continued, There have been many times when my anger and frustration with my wife has caused me to cast her personally as the villain and not the disease. It is so hard for me to understand why she has not taken advantage of the numerous past opportunities to find sobriety and a better life. I pray that she might one day find serenity, sobriety, and a healthy, happy life. In the meantime, I will continue to focus on my own recovery, part of which requires setting up and adjusting my boundaries. Thank you, Eric, for sending that. Thank you for sharing. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? You know, with the uh, COVID pandemic, staying home thing, one week is very much like the next. And I think I talked earlier about some of the ways in which I'm using my program while I'm at home, while I'm isolating and social distancing. This weekend, the Michigan Al-Anon Family Groups organization held a mini convention, if you want to call it that. They called it the Michigan Day of Recovery by Zoom. They had three panels. There was a panel on step one, a panel on step two, and a panel on step three with three speakers each, including a couple of Alateen speakers. It was it was a really good thing to have, to have available. After my morning meeting, I called into the Zoom meeting with my phone, came in in the middle of the step one panel, and took a nice long walk with my dog, listening to recovery as, as I walked. Came home, continued to listen, did some yard work, 
had lunch, you know, and yeah, day of recovery went from, I think, 9.30 to about 2.30 in the afternoon. There was a speaker, Al-Anon speaker, who was calling in from Reno, Nevada, because you can do that, right? No airfare necessary. I was really glad to have that opportunity. There was a little bit of Al-Anon business transacted in the middle of the meeting. As a new group representative, it was interesting and good to be able to hear that happening and to see what's happening at the state level. It set a good tone for the weekend, which was beautiful, beautiful weather, sunny and warm. And then, of course, as the weekend left, so did the warm. Moving into a week of sunny and cold, I guess, or at least not precipitating. So acceptance, as usual, acceptance is the theme in my life these days. Had a conversation with Eric where he talked about patience, and I think that that goes right along with it. Some of the things that I would like to have happen are not happening as soon as I would like them to happen. Patience is, is a good quality to practice in this time. A Sunday night meeting detachment topic, I was able to connect it to the topic of boundaries or connect boundaries to detachment. So good week. Some good recovery experiences happening during the week. Alina called with shares about codependency, step three, forgiveness, and tradition four. Hi, my name's Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 66 in regards to codependency. This topic really resonated with me only because I, it took me a while to realize that I had codependency issues. I didn't really at the time think that they somewhat go hand in hand with like Al-Anon and, and all that. I just thought it was a separate thing, but the more I read about it and talk about it with other members and my sponsor, I realize that I do have codependency problems. It was a lot more before, I I can say, but it's still there. I mean, of course, in the beginning of my program, I always felt like I had to do for the other person. I had to make sure they were happy, content, walking on eggshells, making sure that they were happy, not upset, that they're, you know, whatever was going on in their life, if I could fix it, I would try. And I don't know, it just, after time, I was neglecting my own care of myself and doing what makes me happy. I guess in the end, I kind of ended up a little bit resentful for certain things, saying yes all the time and having to let them make the decision and going with what they wanted. For the most part, my personality, now I can speak up a little more when I want to do something, whether it be, I know an example was like, what do you want to eat for dinner or what do you want to do tonight? Most of the time, I'm pretty go with the flow type of person and I don't mind doing things, but there are occasions where I want to have a voice, have opinion, be heard a little bit. But recently, right now when I'm sharing, we're going through uh, quarantine. You know, I listen to these podcasts in order and I kind of share as I go, or I try to anyway. I'm a little behind on my sharing, but I can tell you right now I'm dealing with and I read about it, you know, with uh, codependency. It's like, it's my trigger, but it's his behavior. Sometimes I feel when he says or does something, I kind of can ignore it and move on and say, okay, is it worth like bringing up? But then there's times where I feel like it's happening repetitively. So I mention it and I realize that he has a hard time taking criticisms. And I don't know if he thinks, I think he's a shitty person or anything. It has nothing to do with that. And I try to explain it, but he just shuts down, doesn't listen, and then starts attacking me. But recently, I, I just get ignored a lot when 
there's like a quiet time when we're relaxing and he's on his phone or watching YouTube videos. And I don't mind that. I mean, I know we all need to decompress in some way and I have my readings or whatever I do. And I had asked a question and he didn't answer. And it was quite a few times and it happened the night before he got up and then was asking me a question about a dessert or something, which I had already eaten with his family and he didn't really realize because he was on his phone and he's like, well, why did everybody eat? I just mentioned it would be nice to be in the moment with us when we're hanging out. I don't know. I probably should have stopped and not said anything, but it just was getting to me, I guess, a little bit. And I tried to say it in the nicest way possible, not attacking, not saying anything. But the fact that he was starting this, like, why didn't you guys wait? Why didn't you guys do anything? You know, I guess I should have just kept quiet. But after that, then he, when I had mentioned that, he began to list the things that he does for me. And that really just triggered me. And I have never done that to him over the past, like, nine years, whether he was re- in relapse or in recovery. I've never done that. And it just bothered me that he could he could do that, you know, and I just got, I just decided, you know what, it's best that I leave. So I get up to leave. And every time I get up to leave, when there's a situation, I can tell that it triggers him in some way, like he doesn't like that. And I don't know if it has to do with a control issue or something, but I just want to remove myself from the situation before things get worse. And it does hurt my feelings that he doesn't realize that, but But regardless, I I was proud of myself for doing it. And I've been doing that a lot when things don't happen according to what I like or if it makes me feel uncomfortable. The following day, I tried to just reach out and apologize for the situation, just saying, I'm sorry that things went that way last night and I hope you have a good day and I love you. And the only response from him was, thanks. So that put me in another situation where I feel like I was trying to have another trigger going on, but I just stopped myself. I did breathe. I do my meditation in the morning. So I did that and I proceeded with my day. And even though that's still in the back of my mind, I know that I will be okay. You know, it does hurt, but it's just feelings. It's all about letting go and doing the next thing and taking care of myself. So if I don't have that, then what do I have? So I appreciate the topic on codependency. I know that it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to face and deal with in my recovery. So um, I hope everyone stays safe and healthy. And thank you for letting me share. I wanted to share on episode 67 about making a decision to turn our will in our life over to our higher power. I know that when I came across this one, it was like a huge difference in my recovery. Like I didn't realize, not that it's simple, but that there was a choice that I had. Like that wasn't to me in the beginning or even growing up or even in the beginning of my Al-Anon meetings that that was even a choice, a decision I could make. But I know that now, even though I tend to turn my will over several times, like turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. I know that I'm not perfect. And the fact that I get such relief in knowing that I can do that is so helpful. Um, I don't have to hold on to anything. I don't have to let it consume me and worry and have frustration and, and sadness and all that. I know that I can pray and that it's all going to be okay. That, that term itself too is it's going to be okay is really, really hard sometimes to say to myself or think about when I'm troubled with something, especially like maybe a disagreement with my qualifier or something like that. So I really, really like this topic. I think it's definitely a challenge for me to turn my will over. But once I pause and realize that I can do it, I definitely feel a hundred times better. Maybe it just um, alleviates a lot of unnecessary fear or anger or sadness that I don't need to have and carry around with me because it can take its toll 
I just want to thank you for your support all the time and the podcast, especially right now we're going through a quarantine, so it's very difficult, but I feel connected still with my community and I'm doing my meetings still via Zoom. So it's just really nice to have that connection and have that support. So thank you. I wanted to share on episode 68, which was on forgiveness. I have a whole different concept than when I came into the program about forgiveness. And I think it, you guys touched on it a little bit. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that I condone or I accept or think that whatever the other person did to me is good. I realize now that forgiveness is actually, for me, something that I do for myself. And it just relieves me of a lot of resentment that I might have. I know I can relate to it with a recent issue with my qualifier. There's always miscommunication. And I feel that I try to approach things differently every time like we have an issue or an argument. I try to like assess it, break it down, look at it and say, okay, I know last time this didn't work. So I try always try to usually try something different. I know that I have to realize my part in it which is sometimes difficult, but I'm human. You know, I am not perfect a hundred percent of the time. And I realize that I have triggers and he has his behaviors and I need to focus on my, my stuff and not try to make him change the way he acts or behaves when there's certain disagreements. So that's why I really try to assess my part and try to change it. And I know that that's sometimes I obsess about it, which is not good. This recent disagreement, like I said, there was a lack of miscommunication and I feel like I could have done things a little differently. Now that I look back on it, sometimes I wonder, do I say anything when my feelings are hurt or when he does something? And I try to let it go, sit there and say, is it worth it? And I try to put it off. And it happened a few times for a while. He was on his phone watching his videos and telling me to do this, do that, like pill his dog and pill his cat. And can you do this? Can you go grab my water? And he's not being rude when he does it, but I go ahead and do it. And I did ask him something and he was consumed with whatever he was doing and he didn't answer. So then I kind of waited and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take care of myself. So I went ahead and did my thing. And, you know, when he was done watching his video, he's like, well, what happened? Why didn't you, it's almost like, why didn't I wait for him? And I was nice about it, but I just said, it just hurts my feelings when you ignore me. I did ask you, but I guess that he didn't like, and he just started acting off and, you know, saying hurtful things and telling me I'm not appreciative and that he's tired. He listed like several things that he did for me that weekend. And it's just, you know, I'm not about that. I'm not about keeping score on who does things. And I could have fired back and said, you know, well, I did pill your cat. I did pull your dog, but I didn't say anything. I just let him say it. And then I just, all I said was, you know, I wish you didn't have to act like that. You know, I'm just trying to communicate and talk to you. I decided to remove myself from the situation which always tends to trigger him to act even more rudely to me. Anyways, it's been a few days. I did decide to forgive him, you know, for myself, just so that I wasn't holding on to anything. He sort of accepted it, but I think he's been kind of a passive aggressive the last four days. So we're going to attempt to discuss it tonight and see how it goes. Um, praying about it, hoping that, you know, everything will go smoothly. And I just want it to be brief and a good resolution to the problem. I don't like having, I don't know, I always call it unfinished business or unfinished things, but you know, it's something that I have to accept sometimes. There's not always an answer immediately and there's not always a resolution immediately. So I really like forgiveness and I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk about it. It's a good one. Thank you. I wanted to share on episode 69, which was on tradition four. I have gone to several Al-Anon meetings and there's always just been one, basically the first one I started out with that I've always 
bonded to and I've always liked it and the group of people. It's a it's a semi-large group when it started and it still is. I just liked the feel, the people, the shares, and it just seemed like it had a lot of people that had been in the program a long time. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I've gone to several other meetings. Some were decent and then there was one that I felt really extremely uncomfortable with. It just felt like there was some dominating going on and and I don't know, maybe I misinterpreted it, but I just didn't like the feel so I didn't really go back. So I get in some of our announcements that we always suggest trying several different meetings to see if Al-Anon's for you. I really encourage that with people, especially when we have newcomers and we do a newcomers orientation. I always like to tell them, make sure you take the meeting list, a phone list, and check out several different meetings. I noticed that our group has changed a little bit, but it's still good. I still like it. There is some personality conflicts that I see arise during the meeting, which is sometimes a little bit uncomfortable, but it's nothing that's gotten carried away or out of hand. There's still a lot of people that I've started out with in the program that that are still there. So my sponsor and everything like that and a few other members. And it's just nice to have that long-term friendship. So I really do think that it's okay to not like certain meetings or be okay with it. I mean, it's I'm only responsible for my, my actions and my situation and stuff like that. I really appreciate it. And I thank you for the topic. And sometimes traditions are always kind of on the back burner. I know that I'm on my last step to work with my sponsor. And then I thought about maybe going for the tradition. So we'll see how that goes. But I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Alina, for your continuing shares about how these recovery topics are touching you. In your life. You can call and leave us a voicemail if you want to participate, join in our conversation. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation with your voice from your computer. Or you can send email to feedback at the recovery.show, either a written email or recording a memo, voice memo on your phone and emailing that. We would love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, your questions about today's topic of boundaries. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And I know you do, because every week I get topic ideas. Our website is the recovery.show has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, which you can find at therecovery.show slash episode number. This would be therecovery.show slash 330-330. I'm also building a mailing list to which I will be sending announcements probably no more often than once a week, upcoming topic ideas, asking for your shares on those. Sometimes Thoughts that I have that don't fit into an episode. Still thinking about trying to schedule some some Zoom meetings for recovery show listeners. Haven't quite figured out what's the best way to do that yet. Take a little break and then look at your feedback, your emails and voicemails. Thank you for writing got an email with gratitude. Dear Spencer and fellow casters, I'm very grateful for your podcast that I discovered it was one of those God shots. More on that later. I have been in recovery off and on for nearly 15 years. The first time I went because it was recommended by a clinician, but in retrospect, although helpful, I didn't fully embrace it. My second foray, I went on my knees with two qualifiers and did 90 meetings in 90 days, got a sponsor, had a daily practice, reading, workshops, and continued to go, and then, instead of continuing when elder relatives needed care, I stopped going. So, of course, they were a priority, but I put work and household obligations and running, my way to have conscious contact with my higher power, before meetings. As demands from these and other things increased, I ran more to cope. Well, that worked for a while, but over time, I blew my knees out. 
minimized it for six months, finally got an MRI, and agonized and obsessed myself into alternating inaction, denial, and abject fear about my options. And all those old ways of coping came back, as did my compartmentalized grief about my mother's death and my very elder father's absolute and understandable longing ache in his heart for his lifelong partner, which I could do little to remedy, along with a challenging, somewhat of an understatement, sibling situation and a new boss. I recognized it all for what it was, but kept going to one of my qualifiers for support. While there's been growth in his capacity for empathy, I wanted more than he is, was, or ever might be capable of empathy-wise. And I knew that clearly when I was active in the program, and I accepted it, although I didn't always like it. Here we are, nearly a year later, and right before COVID hit, I was making a list of meetings I was building up my resolve to prioritize and attend, and then quarantine. Yesterday, at my wit's end, but still trying to take some care of myself, rowing, looking at my mom's picture where I usually listen to music, or a topical issue-oriented podcast, when the Godshot guided me to look up Al-Anon Recovery Podcasts, and there was the recovery show. And I believe I was guided by my higher power to choose and listen to the one with you and Eric about slips. Needless to say, it resonated, and the spark of hope was rekindled. I have gratitude for the experience, strength, and hope I found in the words and insights and the understanding of the program you, both, and others have shared. I'm very grateful. Needless to say, I subscribed. I'll listen to another this morning. I've looked at pages of the Al-Anon Zoom meeting listing several times, and I'm not sure about picking at random one and attending, but I would like to get back to meetings. I appreciate the time you took to read this and looking forward to listening to another show. Thank you again for the show and for the clarity and honesty with which the program is shared in gratitude. Thank you for writing. Thank you for sharing your experience. I did send this listener a link to a couple of meetings that uh, I attend and uh, might hope to see them there. Another email. Dear Spencer and everyone else on the show. I just wanted to write a note to say thank you for this podcast. I'm a sober alcoholic, and while my AA program is beautiful, it's taken a global pandemic to notice that I have all kinds of sometimes conscious but often sub or unconscious behaviors that I need help to recover from. And that, indeed, I am a person who needs AA, but I am also a person who needs to have an Al-Anon program very badly. When I started to attend AA meetings, I was able to wander into meetings that I'd never been to, sit among strangers who I had all kinds of things in common with, and get sober. But it's another thing altogether to understand that you need to be a newcomer in a new program, and you can't just wander into a variety of meetings to see if it's a good fit. Maybe find a sponsor, hear some things that make sense, pick up some literature, etc. A friend who is in AA and also in Al-Anon recommended which literature I could start with, and also your podcast. Today, I awoke with a sense of kindness toward myself and others that I honestly have never felt. I feel vague kindness towards others at times, but today I awoke with a very sincere kindness deep in my heart toward myself. I was listening to your episode about what Al-Anon is, number 10, and I held my heart and felt a kind of a glow of hope and strength and just kindness. I've arrived at this kindness because I've become willing, and I've become willing because I've been listening to your podcast, and I have felt the same thing I felt in AA when I first arrived, this feeling that I have quite a lot in common with strangers and that those strangers and their stories about what happened and how they got well can help me get well too. You didn't know when you started this podcast that there was a global pandemic in the future, and yet you have created a resource without which I might be spinning in my insanities and my behaviors without any way to understand a fellowship that I might not know I needed, and now understand that I deeply yearn to be a part of so that I can be a whole person. I am sober, but I'm not emotionally sober, and I don't know how to be but I have learned so much that is directly applicable in this moment due to your show. So thank you. I really appreciate you. Thank you for making this resource. Thank you so much. You are helping me and I'm grateful. Love Ursula from Canada. Thank you for writing. Thank you for contributing your voice to the show. for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time